0: In a year when there's been so much negativity surrounding tennis news and what's been happening around the world, there was a lot of positives to come out of the most recent week, and the main part of that was Wimbledon announcing a surplus package to all the players that would have been playing in the main draw. A £10 million sum to go to every single player that would have been in the singles, doubles, qualifying and quad wheelchair singles draws it's an amazing gesture that has brought tears of joy to many players around the world this is breakpoint podcast I'm your host Val Ferbo. plenty to get through today a very special guest Chris O'Connell is going to join us his wonderful story from 2019 it was such an amazing year 82 match wins and we'll get to more of that later but it's a great chat but before we do any of that my mate Joel Fritchie is on the other line Joel how are you
1: yeah, not too bad pal. coming to you uh, live from lockdown um, of <laughs> course it's our first show back in a full lockdown here in uh yep. in, um, in in Metro Melbourne um, it was just you to begin with out there in uh, in Taylor's lakes in the western suburbs but now uh, over here in the East I'm um, I'm in lockdown now uh, Northwest Joel? No... Northwest Northwest yes. Northwest Take I don't, don't want to be I don't
0: want to be put down in the West yeah um... <laughs> Yeah, northwest, northwest. Um, no, no, no. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But um, no, it's um, yeah. No, you're right. It's yeah. Full lockdown last week. It was just our postcode lockdowns. So um, yeah, I was still reeling. And then when everybody else got put in lockdown, I was kind of like, well, is everybody saying it's tough but fair now? No. So um, yeah, that kind of brought a evil smile to my face. But yeah. um, no, it's 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 very frustrating considering that so many of us have done the right thing in social distance and adhered to all the parameters we've done the reverse novak Djokovic and um we've uh, and we've uh, we you know we've tried to do the right thing and we're suffering for it and um yeah it's it's disappointing that we find ourselves in this position in um in melbourne and victoria but um unfortunately there's not much you or i can do unless you know, we we put our collective minds together and can come up with a vaccine. I'm not sure how we can do that with um with journalism degrees, but um you know, no. you never know. Penicillin was discovered by accident.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. But um yeah, look, um, unfortunately, uh yeah we have to we have to do it. Um, for any listeners that uh that haven't seen or that are based overseas, the numbers have been pretty grim. Um, here in Melbourne, we actually hit uh, a couple of days ago. We hit uh. Uh, a day where there were 280 cases in yep. excess of that, so um, it's pretty pretty horrific numbers. And um, yeah, geez, I don't know. Maybe um, certain parts of the world, like say uh, Florida, um, United States, can uh, learn a thing or two for for what we're doing. I mean, we're um, we're, we're panicking when we have. Twenty cases, let alone two hundred and eighty, and in their case above fifty thousand a day. So yeah. um, you know, maybe they can learn a thing or two about what we're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. You'd hope so. I don't know. Well, all the states, barring Victoria, anyway. Um, so yeah. Well, hopefully there's no other cases around Australia in the world, and hopefully the cases start to dwindle a little bit, and um, that we can move out on the other side of this because this is no way to no way for the human race to to live because we're all going a little bit stir crazy. But this is what Breakpoint Podcast is here for. We are here to put your minds at ease and to relax you and to put you into a nice, maybe meditation mode with our with our soothing voices and and wonderful jokes. Um, that that fell on deaf yeah, ears. Wonderful subjective. <laughs> very true. Very true. Um, but no, we do have a big show today. As I mentioned, Chris O'Connell is um is our very special guest. He's uh, we chatted to him yesterday. It was a really interesting chat, but. I think that the main bit of news, Joel, from last week was Wimbledon's surplus package to all the players that would have been playing. And what an amazing gesture. Uh, I I didn't think it was true. I thought it might have been a a late, late, late April Fool's joke from the All England Lawn Tennis Club. But no, it is well and truly true. Uh, £10 million to be donated to the players that would have been playing in the main draws of uh, all the different formats of the tournament. So I think it was a, um, a 20, where are we here? Uh, 12,500 for pounds for who would have been playing in qualifying. So all those players would have got that amount. Um, the 256 players who would have completed, competed in the main draw will get 25,000 pounds and the doubles will get 6,250 pounds. Uh, the wheelchair events will get 6,000 and quad wheelchair will get 5,000 as well. So... Joel, that is that is a staggering amount of money that we didn't think would be possible in a year like this, but the All England Lawn Tennis Club, if there's been so much negativity around COVID-19 and what's been happening with some of the tennis players, these guys are clearly in... They've won COVID-19 in a tennis, in a tennis sense. Not that you do win, but um, yeah. they, they've won yeah. lockdown. Yeah,
1: well, I mean... Uh... Wimbledon had pandemic insurance, so yep. I think I think they had already uh, claimed a pretty significant victory. But um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's a time where we need some some positive news, and it's important to mention that there's no legal obligation for Wimbledon to do this. And I think what's great is that there's not uh, um, uh, a lot of. Uh, obviously, it's uh, the players that would have featured in qualifying. They get fifty percent. Um, of what the players in singles main draw would have received, so it's it's not it's not a significant difference, uh, right. I guess, when you compare it to, um, you know, say what, what obviously what the what a Grand Slam winner would receive versus what you get if you make it say mm. to the third round of qualifying. Um, Twenty five thousand Australian dollars is is pretty significant yeah. for, for anyone that would have that would have featured in qualifying. So I think it's I think it's great, um, and it's just a it's just a really good gesture, and uh, I think it was pretty. It was pretty clear what it meant for the players. Obviously, uh, as you said, Val, we spoke to Chris yesterday, and um, we'll, we'll chat. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll hear more from Chris later in the show about what um, this gesture meant meant for him. But we could see um, just on our screens when we were talking to him, his reaction when we brought it up. It uh, yeah. he said it all. Unfortunately, obviously, we can't portray that in podcast form. But um, it, it was a, a really, really. Uh, Um, beautiful sight I guess to see him react like that Um, and it was really powerful and uh, Nick Urios as well, he's someone that we've uh, mentioned a lot obviously on the show in the last couple of months he said uh, on on Twitter, at Wimbledon thank you, an amazing gesture you will always be our favourite tournament so it's uh, pretty clear and rightfully so that it's gone down very well with the players because uh, as we know uh, a lot of them uh, will probably struggle to make ends meet, we've uh, spoken a lot about how uh, the how the sport will respond in supporting the players that need that support and um, for a lot of them to be receiving that kind of money um, is uh, going to help them a lot. So it's, uh, it was really, really good to see and um, it didn't really stop there out of Wimbledon either because um, 26,000 strawberries uh, donated yep. to the National Health Service over in, um, in Britain, which is a great little gesture as well. I think something like 27,000 kilos of strawberries I was reading consumed at Wimbledon mm. every year. But some, obviously, there's going to be a lot of uh, – well, there probably would have been a lot of food wastage this year. So uh, it's it's great to see that they've found a use uh, for that as well.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And um, hopefully Andy Murray got some to eat with his fingers as well. And the, oh, <laughs> that video was one of the, the best things I've seen. And if you haven't watched it, go on YouTube and search um, – uh, Wimbledon, how do you eat your strawberries? And they ask all these different players about how they eat their strawberries, and it's all like, oh, with cream, bit of sugar, cream, 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 bit of sugar, it gets to Andy Murray with my fingers. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. it just It's said in typical Andy Murray fashion, but um, no, you're right. It's it's a fantastic uh, gesture from Wimbledon and everything that they've done Um you know that they clearly have the benefit of the players in in the in the forefront of their minds, and oh, I think it's I think it's amazing. Um, and I think the sheer joy of players on social media thanking Wimbledon and just how happy it's made them that you know that someone is looking out for them. And this is and I think yeah. the ATP, WTA, ITF, and all the other tennis organizations out there in the governing bodies can look at what the All England Lawn Tennis Club has done. And just say, okay, this is the this is the benchmark now for where we need to be, and for how we need to go about our business. Pandemic insurance, um, you know, having all of these all of these parameters in place, I guess, to try and benefit the players, and just the way that they've been organised with the transparency, getting things done early, and ensuring that people are in the know and that they know what's going on. So the All England Lawn Tennis Club. Round of applause for them. They've been absolutely fantastic. And Joel, you did bring up Nick Kyrgios, uh again uh, just before, and he's he's putting himself into into a bit of a uh, into a bit of a, a tricky situation because he's he's getting to a point where he's got to start walking the walk. Now he can't cause any more controversy because um, what he's done he's he's come out. He was at the petrol station last week. Took a uh, took a photo and said uh, mask and shirt on. Um, hashtag team, hashtag Zverev, sure. <laughs> hashtag Djokovic, and uh, coming out having a go at Dominic team for what he said and right, rightly so. I think Nick Kyrgios has been probably the biggest voice of reason as a player throughout this entire <laughs> lockdown, which which says something about 2020 when Nick Kyrgios has been one of the most controversial figures in tennis over the last few years. So, um, what did you make of the comments? And yeah, I guess yeah, what did you make? <laughs>
1: Yeah, um look I've already I think first thing I'll say is I, I did uh, take the pledge on my uh, on my Twitter um, saying that I'll probably never say a bad word about Nick again um,
0: I've done the same for
1: but uh, in this period and um, I'm probably gonna sort of take off a bit later when we get to Benoit of the week because I'm sort of really uh, really unhappy uh, about how players have conducted themselves you know in a variety of, of ways throughout this this lockdown um, I mean I guess the uh, the um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make up a, a word here the tone deafness of of tennis players has really come to the fore during this period in a lot of different respects but um, yeah I mean Nick's almost single-handedly keeping the sport accountable um, you yeah. know I think uh, I think a big problem of, of being at the top of your game in any sport um, and it obviously varies from from player to player but uh, I think certainly in in tennis it's such an individualistic sport that a lot of the people at the top of the game uh, sometimes, uh, I think, seem to lack accountability. Now, um, you know, I look at the WTA side of things and I, I, I see a lot of fantastic role models up in the top of the WTA. Obviously, our very own Ash Barty is up there. Um, and even not necessarily in a ranking sense, but also someone like Serena Williams, I think, for the most part off the court is, is a very good role model and conducts herself. Uh, very well, but um, certainly during this period, you, you cannot say the same uh, of of the ATP. Certainly, certainly when you're looking at guys like Novak Djokovic, Dominic Thiem, uh, Alexander Zverev, all the guys that, that Nick Kyrgios um, mentioned. Um, so, look, I mean, I think really, I mean, if you're not siding with Nick Kyrgios at the moment in keeping these guys accountable, then you've really got to, got to question your... Um, almost your intelligence and your your morals, really. I mean, we're living in such a dangerous time at the moment where you really almost can't take any chances. Um, And, of course, these guys have such a high profile that uh, in a time like this, you really need your high-profile people, athletes, whatever it is, you need those people to act responsibly because um, if they don't, it really sends a a negative message um, to especially younger people um, who... I suppose may not fully appreciate the, the severity of the situation. Um, and they might use that as a justification to, you know, not do the right thing. Um, and the vast majority of the time, um, you know, certainly in those really high profile moments, the Adria who are, you know, Alex Varev, after he promised to self isolate going to, you know, going to party, we've spoken a lot about it. It, it, um, you know, it sends a, a really awful message. So, um, Look, I think we've got to say. I think we have to say thanks to Nick Kyrgios because um, mm-hmm. he's he's being that agitator that I think um, that I think the sport needs. And um, if there is a, a positive to come out of the whole um, COVID nineteen pandemic, it's that I think tennis is uh, and its athletes as well um, have really been given a bit of a kick up the arse in terms of uh, account- accountability and, and really respecting their their surroundings. I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, and you couldn't have said that any better. Um, and we should be saying thank you to Nick Kyrgios because he is bringing the whole sport into accountability and he's being that voice of, of the people, really, and saying, you know what, you guys have been whipping me for so long about my stupidity on court, yet these people are getting away with something that's far more sinister and far more dangerous. And it is because we, we've been saying it, that this is a global pandemic, people are dying. You know, no one's dying from Nick Kyrgios, you know, tanking a match. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it it's really, it is, it is dangerous. And Kyrgios has said it. Kyrgios has done such a, such a wonderful job in advocating it. And, you know, he's probably not making any friends on tour with this, but I don't think Nick cares. And I think if he's standing up for, for what most would consider to be the greater good, then I yeah, guess you can, you can let it slide yeah. and, I've, I've got no problem with what he's doing and i I'm fully on board with what he's done and look'm I'm, I'm honestly I'm starting to come around. I'm starting to come around on him and I, I've judged him a lot in on this podcast over the years and I I think he's really starting to mature and, and grow and and become I think probably he's not the player yet he's still, he's got that talent but I don't think he's playing wise I'm not sure he's quite there yet. But I think he's got time. To, he's still got a bit of time to develop. But yeah, as a person, I think he's really starting to come into his own a little bit with the charity work that he's been doing and um, and everything along those lines. So well done to Nick Kyrgios in in that sense as well. And just quickly, Joel, back to Wimbledon. We forgot to mention that the men's seedings will be determined by ranking only um, at the beginning of next year. So not the way that they've been doing it based on previous year's grass court performances. So um, I reckon it just makes more sense, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah, it's just it just provides more clarity. I think. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, there's not really a lot more to say other than that's that's the way it should be. Just keep things simple.
0: Yep, keep it simple, stupid. Kiss, beautiful, done. Um, and Christina Mladenovic has added her concerns over the US Open's feasibility as well, telling Lequip uh, that she's not yet obtained a visa. And Alan Perez last week had the same um, the same concern. She hasn't got one yet. And if you want to listen to that show, you can on our Wooshka, um Spotify or Apple podcast page. It was a really interesting chat. It's normally... Normally a quick process, Joel, but unfortunately, um, due to COVID, it's been pretty difficult. And I know Sam Groth has had a bit of trouble. Um, he was supposed to go do some work in um, in America, but couldn't get the um, couldn't get the paperwork to get across. And I saw on his Twitter last week that he was far from happy about um, about <laughs> a lot of those a lot of those issues. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed that some of the players can actually get the visa. But I guess that's why. They've, uh, the, the WTA and ATP have adopted this new ranking system. So not a um, not a bad idea there. But another one I want to talk to you about, Gilles Simon came out last week and echoed Andrew Harris's claims also with the quip that uh, Federer doesn't use his influence to help the ATP players. And um, we got a little bit more exposure from that, didn't we, with the secondary article <laughs> in uh, in the Express. So that was all right. But what did you make of those comments?
1: Um. Yeah, well, I, I certainly would have been less surprised if we hadn't have heard the same thing from from Andrew Harris a couple of weeks uh, previous. Um, obviously, um, Andrew wasn't shy in his comments and he certainly teed off on a lot of people, but he, he did say that uh, in his view and from his experiences, Roger Federer uh, was was mainly for the money at the top, of course, um, and, um, and, and did say that in the public eye, he'll say what, what people want to hear, but behind the scenes... Uh, you know, didn't necessarily walk the walk, so it was it was really interesting when uh, when Andrew said it, but I guess when Jill said it, it kind of uh, was was less of a surprise. And I guess all you have to say from this is uh, where where there's smoke, there's fire, mm. I suppose. So yeah. I'm at this point, I'm, I'm inclined to believe these guys, um, and uh, you know, Gilles Simon is a guy that has been. Up and around the upper echelons of the ATP tour for for a little while. Um, yeah, obviously, time. a very experienced campaigner, so um, so he would know. Uh, of course, we still we still need to hear the other side of the story. I, 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 now that it's been raised by two guys, uh, I, I you know in quotation marks a lower level player like Andrew Harris, but also a guy that's been towards the top of the tour like Gilles Simon. Mm-hmm. You've almost got both sides um, of the equation there. So I, I'm really interested to see. Roger Federer's next media appearance. I really hope that, um, whether it's a, a press conference or an interview, whatever it is, that someone brings this up with him because uh, now that two players uh, from you know the, from different uh, parts of the tour, if you like, have brought this up, it's a story now. I, I really want to hear what he has to say about it and um, and and his rebuttal because um, you know I think I think now that it's out there, it's almost within his interests uh, to come out and actually uh, def- defend his his approach. Yeah. I think. Because well, it certainly won't look good for him if, uh, you know, a guy that has been at the top of tennis for two decades, basically, let's face it, um, has earned millions and millions and millions in prize money and has another – and has untold an untold amount of millions as well from endorsements sitting in a bank account um, and, uh, of course, is currently the highest-paid athlete in the world, male athlete, that is mm-hmm. – um, you know i think it's within his interest to actually come out and 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 defend himself because it certainly doesn't look good for him
0: no it doesn't um so fingers crossed look i've been trying to i've been trying to contact teammate which is his management so i'm going to keep pestering them if you're listening teammate i'm <laughs> um, uh, don't leave me on red because that's my that's my pet peeve So, um, no, I've been emailing. I tried ringing again last week, so fingers crossed we can can get a hold of them and and try and get Roger Federer on because, as as the listeners on this show will know, that I'm a big, 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 Big Roger Federer fan. So the chat to him would be amazing. But then if we can get him to clear up um, any of those uh, any of those comments made by uh, Harris and Simone, that would be absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, big news there. Stories developing 100%. And just a couple of little tidbits. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov is now negative. For COVID-19, he's declared his intention to go over to the U.S. for the hard court summer, so he'll be pretty um, relieved that that's all over. And Sam Stoza, Australia's uh, Grand Slam lady, has um, had her first child with her partner, so um, congratulations to them as well. Joel, should we get to our special guest, Chris O'Connell?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Very topical chat, and um, we don't have to wait long. We wanted to talk to him about the U.S. Open, and uh, he brought that up straight off the top.
0: And our special guest on today's show is someone that had an unbelievable year in 2019. He won 82 matches on the ATP Challenger and ITF Futures uh, Tours. He won three titles, or four titles I should say, and made 14 finals, rising over 1,000 spots in the ATP rankings. His name is none other than Chris O'Connell. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here on Breakpoint. How are you doing?
2: Good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: No worries at all. And first things first, I guess. How's the um, how's everything going up in Sydney with the COVID nineteen outbreak? And how have you been dealing with it all?
2: Yeah, it's been going well. Um, like I said earlier, I've been uh, yeah struggling for a little bit of motivation when the coronavirus hit uh, first couple of months uh, training wise. Didn't know what I was training for. Um, but yeah, over the past month, uh, I've upped my training and. Uh, with the uh, news about the U.S. Open on, um, uh, yeah, the motivation's come back, and yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully playing my first U.S. Open.
0: Well, fingers crossed. And I guess what was the what was the schedule looking like for you after such a positive year last year? Uh, what were you planning on on doing? In so, Indian Wells was the first tournament that got cancelled. Were you in California for the qualifying event there, and um, what were, what were your plans beyond that?
2: Yeah, so I was there for the Challenger uh, the week beforehand, um, didn't do so well, um, but had got some good training underneath my belt prior to the the Masters starting, and then, yeah, that's when they cut everything, um, the, the tour stopped, but I was planning on uh, then going to Miami, playing the qualifying there, um, and then my schedule was a little bit up in the air, I was contemplating playing a couple of uh, challenges over in America on the American clay, uh, or heading over to Europe early. and getting ready for the French Open. So my schedule is a little bit up in the air. But, um, yeah, my schedule was based around um, me being in the qualifying for the Grand Slams.
1: Hey, Chris, just on the US Open, obviously you've uh, you've told us that you're you're keen to go. And clearly there's a a lot to gain for you because you do uh, have that and have earned that ranking that will uh, automatically get you into the US Open. But, um, I mean, is it a tough decision to make for you? Because obviously we keep seeing that the the situation health-wise is – not so good over there and by all accounts it looks like the, the tournament will still go ahead. But, um, I mean, was it a, a hard one to,
2: to weigh up for you sort of that professional versus health type thing? Look, uh, yeah, it's a little bit scary to think about it. Uh, heading over to New York and to the U S where, I mean, it's been, it's it's all over the media. Um, America's just exploding in terms of coronavirus cases. Um, but I mean, it's an opportunity for me to play my first U.S. Open. Um, So, I mean, I'd love to play in the U.S. Open, even though it'd be under different circumstances. Um, And I just have have faith in, like, the U.S. Open, uh, the USGA, that they're going to have all the precautions in in line for us to uh, compete safely
1: yeah and how's that communication been um with the usta with the with the atp with regards to safety are you sort of happy about what's what's been said or
2: do you still maybe have some questions that that you want answered um no well yeah i mean they've uh what they've said so far seems pretty pretty good um i mean yeah nothing really concerns me all that much um yeah, I'm just yeah getting looking forward to it. Hopefully it does go ahead.
0: And how has the communication been with the ACP throughout this whole situation? Because um, we had Andrew Harris on a couple of weeks ago and he was pretty disappointed with what what had transpired with um, with a couple of the Zoom calls that have been happening. How, what's your experience been like? Has it been any different or is it, is it around about the same?
2: Look, I mean, I'm a little bit different. I mean, I haven't logged on to one Zoom call. Uh, which, sounds a bit, <laughs> which sounds a bit crazy. I mean, it's my profession. Uh, it's my job, um, but I haven't logged on to one Zoom call, so I've just been hearing from the other tennis players what's, what's been happening, and they've been updating me. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we get a couple of emails every week about it, but there's not hasn't been uh, too much contact. Um, I mean, we've just heard about the new ranking um, system or how the ranking's been revised, um, but yeah, that's just me though.
0: Yeah, and what are your thoughts on the rankings? Like, do, do you, does that help you in any way? Um, in terms of points and like, if you can play in the ATP events in the end of the year, that would obviously help you heaps in terms of getting more points. But, um, are you a fan of what they're doing, or do you reckon there should have just been, you know, just based on what's happening next year and no ranking points, as some other people have been saying?
2: Look, to be honest, I'm still trying to get my head around it. Um, I don't know if it works in my favour or it doesn't work in my favour. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to please uh, certain crop of players and hard to please another crop of players. I mean, they've done the best they can to um, please the majority of people. Mm.
1: Yeah, it seems to be a, a bit of a case of, uh, I guess, the, the best of a, a bad situation, isn't it, Chris? Because, I mean, inevitably there are going to be losers um, in all this, but I mean, I guess leading up to the, the US Open, and as we keep saying, assuming it, it's still going ahead, and we we, we do hope it, it goes ahead, and uh, you know, players, coaches, officials, whoever it is, are all kept safe. Um, can you sort of talk to us about your your excitement of going over there and actually featuring um, in the US Open because it is an opportunity that you have worked very hard for.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been lucky enough to play in two Australian Opens now. Um... I've had two wild cards into that, and I mean, that experience was amazing. And that's what, since being a young tennis player, I've dreamt of playing the Grand Slams. Um, so to get my ranking high enough to be, um, I believe, a direct acceptance into the U.S. Open is a, it's a dream come true. So um, even with no crowds and under different circumstances, um, I, I'm going to be super pumped to walk out on one of those uh, U.S. Open courts and uh, compete so yeah it should be good yeah
1: and on this year's Australian Open of course you featured uh in at Melbourne Park as as well and you came up against uh, Andre Rublev who at the time he was in some pretty good form but you actually got a set off him six love for memory so uh can you talk us through that experience and what you got out of it
2: yeah um I mean yeah like you said he was in unbelievable form um I knew it was going to be a tough match but I did back myself. I had such a good year in 2019 and played plenty of matches. So um, I was feeling fit and hitting the ball well. Um, yeah, I just ran into a, a red-hot Rublev. And, um, I mean, I thought I was a little bit unlucky not to try and sneak that into a fifth set. I had a tight fourth set up, um, lit it up, played pretty well in the second set. Um, but, yeah, I guess in the end, I mean, he's a little bit younger than me but quite a bit more experience. Um, probably got him over
0: the line there. And talking about your your year last year, uh, Chris, it was unbelievable. 82 match wins, the most out of anybody on the tour, more than Novak, more than Rafa, more than Medvedev. Um, it, it was such a, a wonderful story to see you get back because you've had so many injuries. And just to list, there was knee tendinitis, if I'm right, pneumonia and two stress fractures in the back. Um, yeah. and you didn't pick up a racket for two years and to come back, you played 2017, almost got to set off Dimitrov in the first round of the Oz open. And then to have pneumonia, then 2018, again, just riddled with injuries coming back in 2019. What was the, what was the mentality like at the start of the year? And w- what sort of drove you to say, you know what, I'm going to have a really red hot crack at this. I'm going to go to Europe and I'm just going to, I'm going to grind my way back up the rankings.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a pretty bumpy road, but, I mean, I'm not the only tennis player to have a bumpy road. Um, the injuries are part of part of the sport, and um, I felt that every time I've had an injury, I've always come back stronger. Um, and I felt that, um, I'm, I mean, I still feel like I'm developing as a tennis player. Um, I'm only 26 and still relatively young. Um, and... Um, yeah, I made the decision started two thousand nineteen to head over to Europe and play on the clay, which is just better on the body. And I feel like you can just get in a better rhythm on the clay and just play week in, week out. And that's what I did. And um, yeah, I just got on a good roll, and um, my form just kept getting better and better. And um, I was going deep in tournaments. I was playing plenty of matches, and the wins were just coming. And yeah, just yeah, it was just an amazing year for me.
0: It really was. And talking about like rankings getting up from 1,177 to 114 um, in one year, that is absolutely phenomenal. And talk, tell us about – there was a bit of a change in the way that the ranking systems worked with the ITF making it. It was a weird change in my opinion. But talk us through that. And then I think they reverted the change halfway through last year, which benefited you, didn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean – yeah, start so two thousand nineteen. They um, decided to have two rankings: the ITF ranking and the ATP ranking. Um, I didn't have an ATP ranking, and my protected ATP ranking wasn't good enough to get me into the challenges. So my only way of getting back onto the Challenger tour was to get a high ITF ranking. Um, so I need to be about top twenty ITF to get back onto the Challenger tour. So I thought my best. Best way of getting back onto the Challenger Tour was to pretty much play week in, week out, and to get that ITF ranking up as quickly as possible, Um, and the best way to do that was to base myself in Europe, where there's just plenty of tournaments to play, Um, and that's what I did. I pretty much played every single week, Um, and um, playing on the clay, my body was holding up, and I was feeling fit each week, and um, I got that ranking up pretty quickly. Um, and by the time I did get top 20, which was, I think two or three months into playing all those future events, and um, they were, went back to the old system. So then my ranking got converted into the ATP ranking. Um, and yeah, I was back playing challenger, challenger tour events. So, yeah
0: doesn't get much better than that, does it, when you get that little bit of stroke of luck and then you can just boost your points. But tell us, and I read that you based yourself in Belgrade throughout a lot of last year, and there was a specific reason why, and I'd never heard of this before, so talk us through the reason of why you you actually um, based yourself in Serbia and um, how easy it was to sort of get around Europe.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a few reasons why I based myself in um, Serbia. I mean, I met a tennis player called Danilo Petrovic, who's currently ranked around 150, I believe. I uh, met him in 2017, and I told him my problem of uh, being an Australian tennis player, it's um, it's hard to go back and forth from Australia to tournaments, so you've got to base yourself somewhere. So he mentioned me coming to Belgrade and training with him. And um, yeah, I run into the problem as an Australian uh, with the 90-day Schengen. Uh, visa or I'm not sure how they word it. Um, where I can only yeah spend 90 days in Schengen countries and then yeah you got to get out of there. Um, and Belgrade well Serbia is not part of uh, those Schengen zones so I can spend as much time as I want there and um, go back and forth from tournaments to Belgrade. so yeah it makes, makes life a lot easier.
1: What I sort of gather from your experiences, Chris, and I think I even read that in uh, some of your downtime previously, you uh, you fix boats or you, you clean boats to sort of make, make ends meet. And it really tells me that you've got um, – uh, you're really headstrong and you've got some really good uh, mental fortitude in you. So can you sort of talk us through where you think that comes from and I guess how you sort of keep yourself in
2: that strong headspace, uh, you know, when things get tough? Yeah, I, I think that's one of um – yeah, um, my strength is uh, being able to play week in, week out, be on my own most of the time. Uh, I mean, it is pretty tough traveling all the time. Um, you're so far from home. Um, but in saying that, I, I probably wasn't as good like younger um, when I was in my early 20s, but it's something I've developed over the past few years um, just to be able to turn up week in, week out and just perform consistently. Um, I did have good results when I was younger, but I just couldn't back that up week after week. And I mean, that's what makes those top 100 guys so good. They're just so consistent week in, week out. And that's something I've really tried to improve. And um, yeah, I still got some improving to do against that top 100. But yeah.
1: Yeah, no, very good. I think um, it's yeah, it's pretty important, especially for clearly as you've as you've mentioned, Australian players really having to uh, to, to move around, and obviously at the moment, especially, it has been tough. And um, I guess just on that as well, obviously we've seen during the week that um, Wimbledon have um, you know done the great gesture, I guess, of paying out ten million pounds across the board in uh, in prize money, and um, yeah, I can see your reaction on the Zoom screen now. It's clearly uh, taken you aback, I guess, in some respects.
2: Yeah, I still don't believe it's actually true. Like, I read that statement and I was like, what? Is that <laughs> real? And then I actually had to look up on the Wimbledon website and found the statement and I was just like, still sort of don't believe it's true that they're going to put that money into all the players' accounts. But, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Um, I mean, it's such a brutal year. I mean, not only for tennis players but for everyone. Um, and, yeah, that's unbelievable what Wimbledon have done. Yeah, and I guess it goes without saying almost, but I mean, I think uh, for,
1: for players that would have competed in qualifying, it would have been about 25,000 Australian. But I mean, for any sort of listeners that might not sort of appreciate how far that kind of money could go for, I guess, a player in your position or even further down the rankings, can you sort of talk through how important it can be?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the money from Grand Slams is, is, is so crucial. I mean, being inside that top 230, 240. Um, it's a it's a pretty crucial uh, benchmark in terms of rankings. I mean, it's it's pretty tough on the futures uh, on the futures calendar. Um, there's not much money there. Um, I mean, I've experienced it firsthand. Like I've had a couple of jobs. I've, like you said, I've worked on boats, had a bit of tennis coaching, uh, worked in a clothing shop at one stage. So yeah, I mean, that money at grand slams. If you can get to that. That two forty two two thirty um benchmark, then, I mean that money helps so much towards um, the travel and all the expenses that come with tennis because it is really an expensive sport.
0: Just quickly before we do get to some fun, Chris, what what what's uh, what did you think of retail? Because uh, I've done it as well, and um, there's a, there's a few little <laughs> a few little pitfalls of it with dealing with people. But what were your thoughts? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I worked in uh, Lululemon, so oh, it was nice. predominantly like women walking in there, so that was, that was pretty tough, like, uh, yeah, trying to sell them like training gear, yeah. um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite a shy dude, so it, it was pretty tough for me, but it was also sort of good, it got me out of my comfort zone, but yeah, it was definitely yeah. an interesting experience.
0: Uh, at least, like, I, I worked at Foot Locker, so we had a lot of gangs and, and, like, all the gang members coming in to buy their Nike TNs and everything, so I'd much rather be in uh, in your position. Um, but we'll get to some fun now, and uh, Joel, Joel is the mastermind behind this, but it's called Rapid Fire. You'll get the gist of it very quickly. It's just one word answers to a few different questions, and um, Joel's come up with a few good ones here, so I'll let you fire it away, mate.
1: All right, sounds good. But uh, before we get into it, Chris, I must emphasize no right or wrong answers. You can say whatever you like and uh, we'll we'll push through it. No judgment here. But uh, just to start off and uh, you'll get the hang of it after hearing this one. Uh, Chicken or beef? Chicken. Yeah, nice. Always good for a bit of protein. BMW or Mercedes? Uh, BMW. Yep, good call. Who was your tennis idol growing up? Gaston Gaudio. Gaston Gaudio, ah, that's the underdog. Yeah, that's outside the square. Exactly. Obviously, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, big four and uh, and players of that ilk. But Gaston Gaudio is a, an interesting one. Uh, what's your
2: favourite sport other than tennis? Um, to watch rugby league, I guess.
1: Yeah, good call. Actually, speaking of which, I do if this is uh, if there's any truth to this. But I read on your Wikipedia that you're a Crystal Palace man.
2: Yeah, I'm, I am was going to say Premier League as well. I mean, yeah, I'm a huge Crystal Palace fan. I mean, we lost this morning to Aston Villa. It doesn't look too good, but yeah. it's all right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. I think Palace will, uh, will stay up well and truly a Premier
1: League club. Now, what's the best thing about the Northern Beaches? The Beaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, Bell's loving that response. Oh, that what's was
0: the so good.
2: <laughs>
1: what's the best place you've traveled to for tennis
2: um i would say united states yep very nice anywhere in particular i love california Um, it's pretty similar to the world beaches but also i just love the sport over there the baseball the nfl Mm -hmm. the hockey so
1: yeah yep very nice now flip side of the coin what's the worst place you've traveled to for tennis um
2: china yeah, another, another one yeah another
0: one for China Uzbekistan was the early leader but now I think um, I think China's definitely taken over the reins here
2: yeah be to Uzbekistan it's not great but it's interesting but yeah China definitely takes yeah. the cake yeah yeah I've had a lot of
1: nominations for China yeah. uh, finally if you weren't a tennis player and you could do anything else what would you do
2: um I'd be playing a different sport um Maybe you'd like to be on the the surfing world tour or a baseball player, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Nice. Being nice. a surfer sounds pretty fun, I've got to say
0: yeah <laughs> so, for traveling to all the tropical locations it'd be pretty bloody good um uh, but chris yeah. thank you so much for joining us here on breakpoint it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to someone of your ilk and caliber and um it's such a wonderful story what you did last year and coming back from injury and really making your name on the atp tour and fingers crossed by the end of this year we'll be seeing you inside the top 100 and getting direct entry into the 2021 grand slam so chris o'connell thanks heaps for joining us thank
2: you guys thanks for having me
0: Chris O'Connell there, Uh, what a story it is and what a wonderful year he had in 2019. 82 match wins, that is whopping. And 14 finals as well on the Futures and Challengers circuit as well. So um, fingers crossed, all the best for him. And it was so interesting, Joel, to chat to someone that's sort of on the other end of the spectrum from what a lot of people have been saying, that the tournament shouldn't go ahead. He's obviously someone that's desperate to get over there um, to the US Open. And we've been saying it on the show as well that, you know, we're not sure how feasible it is that the tournaments should be going ahead, but you know, this is a direct entry into a grand slam for O'Connell. He doesn't have to qualify. So I think we're, we've been looking at it in a pretty black and white situation, but um, this is, yeah, this is obviously really important to, to a lot of players that they can actually get into a slam. And, try and make inroads into the rankings. So it's it's fantastic for O'Connell and fingers crossed that we can see a really deep run from him at the US Open because it'd be an amazing, amazing achievement um, to see him back playing, playing where he belongs, really. He's got the quality and um, he's got the temperament and personality as well to really go deep. So um, what a wonderful chat that was.
1: Yeah, no, it was brilliant. And um, you're right, Val. Um, we've been talking a lot about how, um, you know, we think the US Open probably isn't feasible and, to be fair, I still don't think it is feasible. Um, but, you know, where where, where the big players uh, drop out and we're seeing that quite a few of them are still unsure about whether they'll go to the US Open or not, um, it does open some doors. Um, and, of course, Chris O'Connell, his ranking w- would get him in uh, to the US Open, as you said, regardless of um, who pulls out and, and who, uh, who competes. Uh, ranked 116th in the world, of course, at the moment. Uh, the top uh, um, 128 in the world as things stand, get into the US Open. And he obviously stands to gain a hell of a lot from this event, not least with, with prize money, but points. Um, he's going to gain a hell of a lot of points. And uh, certainly professionally, it's it's clearly within his interest to, to get over to the US Open because it'll be his first main draw appearance. Um, and then if he can get over to Roland Garros as well, it'll be the same thing. If he can qualify, of course, um, yep. with, uh, with the French Open. But... Um, I mean, he's got a he's got a he's got a direct entry to the US Open, so I mean, he may as well use it. Um, I guess for him, um, you know, it's all about whether they can keep the players safe, and um, you know, certainly with a guy like Chris, we uh, all the players, we hope that'll be the case. And um, yeah, I mean, if he goes over, more power to him. We can only hope that um, you know everything goes well and um, and he uh, makes makes the most of it.
0: One hundred percent. Fingers crossed that he can. Um, he can really make a name for himself this year, and he already has um, on this show and in Australia. But hopefully, the world can see how how good Chris O'Connell really is. He's uh, yeah, and big thanks to him for for jumping on the show and sharing his wonderful story of um of his of his comeback. So absolutely fantastic, and fingers crossed you all enjoyed the chat as well. And look, Joel, we've been there's been so much going on over the last few weeks that we've we didn't even mention that Wimbledon would have. Would have been um, would have been on for the last two weeks, and Sunday yeah. night was was a year to the day. So the the men's final this year and last year would have happened on the exact same date, um, and it's honestly it, I I I I I've blocked out what happened last year from from as much as I can really um from that Wimbledon final, <laughs> and but then all 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 of yesterday and all of Sunday they've been going oh. Name one word to describe last year's Wimbledon final, and well, I, I put it. I commented on the ATP's Instagram response and said, "Well, I can give you twenty: heartbreaking, devastating, yeah. tragic, unjust, awful, horrible, horrid, abhorrent, every every bad word under the sun. I I, I could have used swear words, expletives. All of it was just disgraceful, but." We want to talk about some more positive things. So let's go just a couple of really fond Wimbledon memories that we've got. And I'll um I'll start with you. I know where this is going to go. So um, <laughs> so no. I'll, I'll let you fire away. You've brought it up on the podcast many times, but we'll let you go again.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, my fondest Wimbledon memory is pretty simple. It's being there in uh, 2016. I uh, got to watch John Millman on, uh, I think it was court number four. I think it was all thirteen or something. I can't remember what quarter it was, but anyway, um, he was up against uh, Albert Montanus. So I thought a guy like Albert Montanus would, would be uh, amongst my my fondest tennis memory. But he is. Um, <laughs> so he he uh, he led John Millman two sets to one in that match in the first round, and uh, Johnny ends up coming back to win uh, in five sets. It was a match that took about three and a half hours, I think, from memory, um, and it was just part of a great day sitting. Um, Sitting at that court, um, sipping on some pims, eating some strawberries, bulk strawberries. Um, it was just a, it was just a great day. It was really a dream come come true to queue up, um, walk through the gates. Uh, you see the uh, the board uh, order of play, and you just walk around the grounds, and there's just greens everywhere. There's you know people, um, happy people, um, you know sun hats, you name it. Um, yeah, you know, the, the Ralph shirts. Uh, it's just a it's just a, a great place to be. Yeah. Uh, Wimbledon um, in in the British summer it's it's just fantastic.
0: I hate you. Um. <laughs> um. Sorry. No, yeah. I, it's my absolute dream to get there. So fingers crossed. Twenty twenty one might be a chance, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe we'll be that big by then that they'll just invite us over and we'll get an accreditation. Yeah. So that that's the, that's the goal. Mm. Hopefully, anyways. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, my. I do agree. Yeah, yours being there is going to be pretty hard to top. I'd say, phew, last year it had Federer won. It would have been definitely number one. But I think probably two. Oh, even though twenty sixteen ended for Roger Federer in a pretty poor fashion, the the quarterfinal against Marin Cilic when he saved three match points in that third set. And came back from two sets down to win it. That was one of the best tennis matches I've ever seen. It was just all quality. Chilich on fire. And then obviously the next year, Federer's redemption, winning the title after after his injury layoff, his second Grand Slam of the year, um, and coming back and winning it and absolutely demolishing everybody that came into his path. Um, you know, just seeing Roger Federer win Grand Slams brings me. Brings me such joy and watching all the highlights. So, yeah, any time that Roger Federer wins Wimbledon, I guess, is a really fond memory for myself. And probably Leighton Hewitt um, making the quarters in 2009. That's a tournament that I remember really fondly as well. Um, You know, coming back from two sets to love down in the fourth round against Radek Stepanek and then pushing Roddick all the way in the quarters, pushing him to five, and Roddick would eventually lose that uh, final 16-14 to Federer in the fifth set and having uh, four set points to go up two sets to love. So what a tournament that one was. So, yeah, plenty plenty of fond Wimbledon memories for me. And, um, yeah, 2019 probably doesn't fit into that category. (laughs) Or the final doesn't anyway. That was just an absolutely brutal, brutal night. Um, And then seeing Djokovic eat the grass, that just... uh, Oh, let's not even start on that. (laughs) No, no. Um, but speaking of Djokovic, he's the leader in our Benoit of the of the year, um, and it's time for Benoit <laughs> yes. of the week, named after our favourite Frenchman, and it might be someone that's had a good week, bad week, maybe a bit of both, but um, a typical Benoit. Speaking of Benoit, did you see that shot he hit in the Ultimate Tennis Showdown last week? A fake oh, smash. Oh, that's
1: fake Benoit, oh
0: my god. Oh, How good you, is that? You cannot do that. If you haven't seen it, go on to the Ultimate Tennis Showdown Instagram and watch it. It is... You just can't do that. He's faked a smash, swung the racket, passed the ball, and then hit a drop shot, and it's gone in. Don't know how, but Benoit Paire, um, Well, it, he, he's magical half the time, but sometimes he's not, and that's why we have that segment named named after him. So Joel, I'll let you take this one because I know I know where this is going, and I know your thoughts on it, and uh, I'm I'm very excited to hear you tee off.
1: Yeah, so look, what I'll say straight off the top is it's kind of frustrating that it's another negative Benoit because we haven't had a lot of positive Benoits, no. but such is the state of, uh, you know, going back to the, the accountability in tennis, such is the lack of at the moment that, um, you know, unfortunately it's it's another negative and the clear winner of, uh, of this week's Benoit is Diana Yastremska Now... People would have seen that during the week she posted some photos of herself uh, on Instagram and Twitter uh, with, well, what was essentially uh, literally half a blackface, but it's still, it's a it's blackface. Yep. And we're in 2020, you can't do it. Now, I don't know how many people um, have to do this and be called out for blackface before people will actually understand that it is offensive. Now, you and I can't probably talk to how offensive it is for people of colour because, well, the reality is we're white, so we'll never fully appreciate how offensive it is for those people. But the reality of it is is that numerous people of colour have said publicly, high-profile people, that it is offensive and that it's simply not on. And not only was that completely stupid from Diana, that she actually did that, but what was even worse was, in quotation marks, the apology. Now, I'm going to read this out word for word. So <laughs> she said, Earlier today, I posted pictures that I thought would spread a message of equality, she says. Um, It clearly did not and has been misunderstood. I've been warned about the negative impact, but I did not and still don't consider it as blackface. I did not intend to caricature but to share my feelings about the current situation. We should all be treated as equal. I'm so disappointed that my message has been corrupted. These pictures divided people when they were meant to unite. That's why I deleted them. I sincerely apologise to all the people or I've offended I truly had only good intentions where do you even start with that i mean seriously it's she's like, basically it's like, issued this fake apology oh she's she's issued this fake apology where she's come out and said yeah look i'm sorry if i offended you but i'm still right
0: yeah it's it's no, it's, it's essentially not. like i'm sorry but still f you all um and like yeah. a big middle finger to a lot of people <laughs> oh. oh look i <laughs> I, I yeah I don't know. I just I look Joel there's just I didn't think it could get worse and look Novak Djokovic coming out um and kind of hitting out at all the 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 lynch party that was after him. Uh yeah. I thought was was the front runner to be Benoit but this came and and stormed home down down the straight to to claim oh, a yeah. big 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 it win just, it and...
1: just pisses me off that we've got we've got high profile representatives of our sport. I mean the players are the biggest representatives we've gone from the world number one in in the men's um, advocating against vaccinations with COVID-19 um, has gone from ignoring um, literally almost unofficially in some respects but universally governing principles about how to approach COVID-19 and how to deal with it completely ignored yeah um, you know undermining the health of his colleagues and now we've got on the other side of things um, players uh, still thinking that blackface is okay. I mean, seriously. And and the worst part of it all is that that none of these people have taken any accountability for it. And it no. all comes back to this point of accountability. It is just an absolute effing joke that that no one in the sport um, that makes these mistakes seemingly is willing to actually um, accept the consequences of their actions and acknowledge that they were wrong. I think that's what's really um, annoying me. And Thank God, someone like Naomi Osaka, I think, called out Diana on on Twitter. She said, "Girl, I know you didn't just do blackface um, with a skull emoji." Um, <laughs> so, yeah, clearly she's in a bit of a state of disbelief as well. But yeah, I'm just I'm just staggered. I mean, how do these things still happen? I mean, not only not only are you in a in a position where you can see the world travel the world you get to see different perspectives you've also got these people around you that should be um you you know i guess managing you and advising you on how to approach your your public relations that's not to say that players have to lean on these people they should be smart enough to actually acknowledge these things um it's just staggering that it's it's still happening we're in 2020 and even uh, like even after the black lives matter movement it was so high profile and really uh in 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 my view seemed like a turning point um in in the way people approach racism and and finally um it seemed that uh you know we were reaching a point where we were actually going to achieve a a semblance of true equality um you know across the board between black and white and then we have high profile athletes doing stuff like that still it's it's Honestly, hard to believe. You just don't know whether to laugh or cry. Sometimes, really. I mean, the fact that it's happened again, it's just like, what are you, what are you thinking, really? And yeah. you know, I really hope that Diana comes out and actually issues a proper apology because, you know, if I was um, putting myself in the, in the shoes of, of a person of color, I, I would be so insulted by that.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think that proper apology is coming, um, especially no, after what after what's happened and after what we've seen through COVID. It's it just doesn't. Um, it kind of fits the bill for 2020, really. I, I think we're just seeing just more and more um, lunacy with a lot of people, and um, yeah, it's look. I I think you summed it up pretty well. I just think it was stupid. It was dumb, idiotic. Um, there's there's so many superlatives that you can use for that. It was that, ignorant. So, that's, yeah,
1: that's that's the word. It was completely and utterly ignorant. Yeah,
0: to what's been happening and everything. It's just like look, you know, if you want to support a quality, support it. Um, but don't do that, like. No, really. It's just that no, like I mean, there's we're, so we're many other ways to support it, Joel. There's so many other ways. Yeah, and you know, donate, donate money to a charity, donate money to donate whatever you want, but don't do that, please. Like, so many people have come out, not, and honestly, I'm sick of hearing about it because this so because we're just seeing it too much. It's just like okay, people are offended by this. Don't do it. It's not hard. You just yeah, don't.
1: You've got a, you've got a... If we've got to we've got to listen to people when they say something is offensive yeah. even even if you don't think it is it is offensive if you do something that someone says is offensive and blackface has been denounced as universally offensive to people of color you don't do it no accept it don't do it
0: <laughs> it's pretty simple isn't I it i know i know Oh, God. And on that note, I reckon we should we should probably wrap wrap things up because we could probably go on that all day. But, yeah, Diana Rest- Yastrzemska gets Benoit number 14. But, Joel, thank you very much for your efforts today. It's been a wonderful show.
1: No, no worries, Joel. I think I'm going to go get a uh, cup of water and just cool down a bit.
0: Yeah, I reckon you need to. You've gone a bit red there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's like it's like you've been a bit sunburnt. But um, no, it's been a it's been a wonderful show today. Big thank you to Chris O'Connell for joining us, and um, plenty to get through. There was plenty to get through at the start with Wimbledon. Um, some fantastic gestures by them. But Joel Frucci, um, uh, very kind of you to join us. You can sh- follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Joel Frucci. You Can follow us on Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Facebook Breakpoint Podcast. Um, you can find us on Wooshka. That's where we put our podcasts, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're there wherever you get your podcasts. I've been Val Ferbo. You can follow me, VFerbo96, and uh, on Instagram and Twitter as well if you need any tennis news. Joel and I both over that. Um, but plenty more to get through in this Weird and wonderful year of tennis where not much tennis has been played, but there's still a lot of news being that's coming out. So it's very odd, but uh, we'll be back next week here on Breakpoint Podcast.